0: Our scripture reading today will come from the book of Judges chapter 6, Judges chapter 6, and I'll be reading the verses 25 through 40, Judges chapter 6, the verses 25 through 40. We, in our bulletins, have a insert, and on one side of the insert is the sermon outline, and on the other side is the scripture reading from Judges 6. Let us pay careful attention to the public reading of God's holy and infallible and inerrant word. That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bowl and the second bowl, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here, with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bowl and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah, That you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. And the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son, that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. He is a god. Let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerubbaal, That is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abuserites Abir- called out to follow him, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet him. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl of water. Then Gideon said to the Lord, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. And it was dry on the fleece only. And on the ground there was dew. That's the reading of God's word today from Judges chapter 6, beginning at verse 25 through 40. Well, congregation of our Lord Jesus, when it comes to the biblical account of Gideon the judge, the text that you are most likely familiar with, the verses of Gideon's fleece stand out. If you're like me, you've heard this text referred to and quoted many times when there's a Christian who has to make a difficult decision about life, and they're trying to discern God's will in that decision. Maybe it's a person who's trying to decide if they should make a move from one state to another state, or whether they should take this job or another job, or perhaps someone who's trying to determine who they should marry. And as they're struggling with that life decision before the Lord and trying to determine what God's will is, they'll refer to a text like this and say, I wish God would just show me clearly what the answer is, like He did with Gideon and his fleece. And so then you'll hear a sermon or listen to a Bible study or perhaps even be given counsel on ways that you can put out a fleece today. And determine God's will for your life. I've heard sermons like that before, and maybe you have as well. But as we look at this text this morning in the context of the life of Gideon, you will see that these verses about Gideon's fleece actually have nothing to do with trying to determine or to discover God's will for your life. But instead, the sign of Gideon's fleece is an Old Testament biblical sign that was for Gideon then that foreshadows an even greater act and a greater sign that God has given His New Testament believers to help us know what God's Word tells us about His salvation is true. Let's start this morning with the context of our passage. The context of our passage this morning begins in the previous verses with Gideon's encounter with the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. The Israelites have again repeated the judge's pattern. They have worshiped false gods and the Lord has sold them into the hands of the Midianites and the Amalekites. For seven consecutive years we were told at the beginning of this chapter these nomadic peoples during harvest time would come from the wilderness and the desert regions encamp within the promised land, overpower the Israelites with their unbelievable numbers, forcing them to run for the hills and then steal the harvest and their crops, their sheep, their oxen, and their donkeys, leaving them poor, starving, fearful, and beat down. And so when the Israelites cry out to the Lord, This time, he sends a prophet to rebuke them and to remind them that God had already saved them from slavery in Egypt, that God had given them the promised land, but their minds and their hearts had been prone to wander and worship other gods. And then the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, appears, and he calls a deliverer, Gideon. And the threefold dialogue with the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, Gideon goes through a transformation. When the angel says, the Lord is with you, O man of valor, Gideon says, no, you are not with us. If you are with us, the supernatural works you used to save the people out of Egypt, we would see them now. Then Gideon goes on to say, I'm not qualified to lead Israel because I'm the least of my tribe, my clan, and my family. And finally, he comes to realize that the only reason the Lord calls him a man of valor is because the Lord is with him. And then he asks the Lord for a sign, a sign that the Lord is with him. And when he prepares the meal for the offering, when the supernatural fire comes out from the rock, and the angel of the Lord vanishes at the same moment, Gideon knows it was the Lord, and he knows the Lord was with him. He knows that he has been in the presence of a holy God and deserves to die, and the Lord assures him that he will not die because he is now at the altar of peace. Gideon then demonstrates his faith in what he saw. In verse 24, right before our text, he builds an altar at the place where the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him, and he names the altar, The Lord is Peace. Now, does that mean, then, that Gideon is at peace with everything in his life? It's as if this Old Testament believer has encountered the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, and now has become a believer. He is at peace with God. He has made His offering. The Lord has declared that He is at peace with Him. Is everything now good in His life? The circumstances of His life are not good. The Midianites, the Amalekites are stealing His food and the food of all the people of Israel. Things are so bad at the beginning of this account, Gideon is beating the wheat at the wine press instead of the threshing floor to hide the wheat from the Midianites. He and all his people at this point in his life are poor, starving, fearful, and beat down because of the Midianites. The world in which Gideon lives is not a world at peace. As we will see in a moment, Gideon is also not going to be at peace with his own family. The next day, because he is now at peace with God, they're going to want to kill him. But Gideon is at peace with God. And Gideon has the kind of peace that God inspired the Apostle Paul to write about in Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Gideon is described by the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ as a man of valor. And he learned through the transformation questions that came his way that he is a man of valor, not because of his own qualifications or who he is, but because the Lord is with him. And yet, even though he is at peace with God, Like many of us today, as New Testament believers, Gideon has a ways to go. And so, as the next deliverer judge that God has sent to the people of Israel, Gideon starts with the root of the problem, and the root of the problem for Israel and God's people the reason they are poor, fearful, and beat down is not because of the Midianites. And God is going to commission Gideon, his appointed judge and deliverer, to deal with that first. In verse 25, we read that night, after the angel had appeared, or the Lord had appeared to him and the altar of peace, that same night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bowl and the second bowl, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. Now, from this verse, you can see just how far Israel has fallen. The Lord has called Gideon, but Gideon's father has an altar to Baal on his own property, and it's right next to the Asherah pole. And so, what does that mean? It means for the family of Gideon, Baal worship has become a way of life. They don't seem to even think about it. They don't even seem to think it's something wrong. It's a way of life. They have the altar, the asherah pole, right on their own property. They know about God. They're calling out to God when they're oppressed by the Midianites. But when it comes to their daily life of raising their crops, when it comes to the aspect of their daily bread... They worship the Canaanite false gods of fertility, Baal and Asherah. That's how they grow their crops. They don't rely on God for their daily bread. They don't rely on God to send the dew and the rain so their crops would grow. They grow their food for their daily life, they think, because they have adopted the ways of the world around them. They look to the Canaanite false gods of Baal and Asherah. And with the Asherah pole right next to the Baal's altar, this was likely the place where the men of Gideon's clan and family and tribe engaged in the sexual immorality that went along with the worship of Baal. And so why does the Lord, or what does the Lord tell them to do in verse 26? And build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order then take the second bowl and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the ashra that you shall cut down you see the lord is calling him not only to take down the altar of baal that his father has but in verse 25 replace it with an altar to the lord in its place this was no easy task. Archaeological research has shown that an altar to baal could be as large as 26 feet long, or 26 feet wide and five foot high. And from that, you can see why in verse 25, the Lord told him to use his father's bowl to take it down. Look at the details given for the Lord's altar in verse 26. It is to be built atop of a stronghold. The top of the stronghold was the place where the altars of Baal and the Asherah poles were often placed. Throughout the Old Testament, we see how the altars of Baal and Asherah poles were often built upon hills and high places. For the higher up you go, the more fertile the place, and Baal was worshipped in the most fertile green of places." The high places received the most moisture and rain, and that's why later in the book of Kings, Elijah will challenge Baal on top of Mount Carmel. But now the Lord commands Gideon to replace Baal's altar with the Lord's altar at the stronghold. And then the Lord tells him to lay the stones and do order because God's Word has carefully instructed His people how they are to worship him. And we're seeing it here. And not only does he then tell him to take his father's valuable seven-year-old bowl and offer it as a burnt offering for the sins of the people, but then to use the wood of the Asherah pole that he has taken down as the wood to make the sacrifice. Do you see how the Lord is using Gideon to mock their worship of the false gods, Baal and Asherah, to show his people that they have been worshiping false gods, that the Lord God is the true God. He is the creator of heaven and earth. And for the rain and the waters, for the crop, for their food, it comes from Him. Don't you see the problem here? And how the Lord has showed this to His people? They are busy raising their food worshiping Baal. And God sends the Midianites and the Amalekites to take away all their food. And now he's showing them why. Verse 27, so Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told them. You can see how big this task was to take down this altar. Gideon has 10 men, 10 of his servants helping him, a big job, a big task to accomplish in one night. It's a big task tearing down this altar with a bowl and then building an altar to the Lord in its place. And Gideon and his ten men did as the Lord had told him. But look at the last part of verse 27. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Again, do you see how far? Israel has fallen. Gideon tears down the altar of Baal and builds an altar to the Lord, something the Lord had told His people to do in the law when they entered the land. This is what the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ had said to them years afore when He appeared to them in Judges chapter 2. But because the people have given their devotion, their allegiance, and their hearts to these false gods, Gideon tears down the altar of Baal at night because he's afraid of his family, the men of the town, his clan. He is afraid of them during the day. And this is the people of Israel. It's why God has sent the Midianites and the Amalekites. God's prophet had just reminded them in Judges chapter 6 that the Lord is the one who delivered them from the land of Egypt. God's prophet had just reminded them that it was the Lord God who had given them this land. He reminded them that He is their covenant God who established a covenant with them at Mount Sinai. And yet Gideon has to cut down the altar to Baal and replace it to an altar to the Lord at night out of fear for his own life. Well, now let's look at their response point c on your outlines first the men of the town verse 28 when the men of the town rose early in the morning behold the altar of Baal was broken down and the asherah beside it was cut down and the second bowl was offered on the altar that had been built why were these men going there so early in the morning because there was dew on the ground the men rose up early at dawn because they were going to worship Baal and Asherah to start their day during the time when there was dew on the ground, the fertility, the sexual immorality of Baal worship where it took place. And yet instead of finding an altar to Baal and an Asherah pole they had come to rely on, they found a stone altar built for the Lord with a smoking bowl a smoking bowl burnt offering with the wood from the asherah pole verse 29 they said to one another who has done this thing and after they had searched and inquired they said gideon the son of joash has done this thing then the men of the town said to joash bring out your son that he may die for he has broken down the altar of baal and cut down the asherah beside it again Do you see how far they have fallen? When confronted with their sin, when confronted with what God had said through the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, through His law, this is not repentance. Their hearts have been given over to the worship of false gods. They don't want to return to God by way of the repentance of their sin and faith in Him. Their hearts are tied in to their own misery and death from the worship of these false gods. And so when God's people are confronted with their sin, and they see it right in front of them, and an altar to the Lord and a smoking bowl, they don't respond by seeing and knowing God's grace. They respond with anger. Now keep in mind what has happened here in the bigger picture of things. God has saved his people from the land of Egypt by the blood of the Passover lamb. He has delivered them from the land of slavery and made a covenant with them at Mount Sinai. He has given them the promised land where they could live before him face to face and worship him through the sacrifices given at the tabernacle. It should be the worship of God, the center of their lives. And now the people have broken God's covenant by worshiping false gods God sells them into the hands of an enemy. They're poor, starving, fearful, beaten down, and they cry out to God for His deliverance. God sends them His deliverance, a judge deliverer. And He starts with the root of the problem, cutting down their altars to false gods and replacing it with one to the Lord. And when confronted and faced with their sin. so they can't do it anymore. How do God's people respond? They respond by wanting to kill the judge deliverer who made the altar. They want to kill the judge deliverer that the pre-incarnate Son of God commissioned to offer the sacrifice for sin on the altar. They want to put the deliverer that God has sent that has confronted them with their sin to death. And they like their lifestyle. They know about God and they call upon Him to save and deliver them when they're in trouble. And they like worshiping the false gods of the Canaanites around them too. Again, these are people who do not want to return to God by way of repentance and faith and replace their Baal worship with an exclusive worship of God. They want God to deliver them from the consequences of their sin when they're in trouble because they've Given those false gods, their devotion and allegiance, and their hearts, they they want to worship them too. And how then did Joash, Gideon's father, respond? He intercedes for his son, Gideon, and he responded with two questions for them. First, verse 31a, but Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you save him? In other words, if Baal is your God, does Baal need your help to contend for him? Second question, if Baal is a God, does Baal really need you to save him? And then in the second part of the verse, he makes a pronouncement which sounds something like right out of the law in Deuteronomy 13. In the end of verse 31, he says, Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is God, let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken down. It's as if Gideon's father, Joash, starts to follow the Mosaic law on capital punishment. In Deuteronomy 13, God had pronounced that if a man is murdered, another man should be put to death. Verse 32, Therefore on that day, Gideon was called Jerob Baal, that is to say, let Baal contend against him because he broke down his altar. The people of Gideon's family, clan, and tribe seemed to agree with Gideon's father. If Baal is God, let Baal contend against him for breaking down his altar. And that's what was put before the people of Israel when they gave God's judge-deliverer that name. Will they follow? God's judge deliverer, the one who contends with Baal? Or will they follow the worship of the false gods of the Canaanites? If you're going to follow God's judge deliverer, Gideon, it starts not with the Midianites or the Amalekite problem of them taking all your food. It starts with repentance from the worship of Baal and Asherah. Will they follow? Will what the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ showed his people through Gideon must first take place be enough to bring about their deliverance from the Midianites and the Amalekites? Will they follow Gideon, Jerob, Baal, the one who contends with Baal? In verse 33, point D on your outlines, the Midianites and the Amalekites arrive. Now all the Midianites and all the Amalekites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. The Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east are now, as you see, joined together. And here they come. They've come once again to overpower the Israelites, cause them to have to flee up into the dens and the caves and the hills and to steal their food. And they've crossed the Jordan now, and they are already encamped in the valley of Jezreel, about to do their thing. In verse 34, then, the Lord responds, the Spirit of the Lord closed Gideon. And Gideon sounded the trumpet, and his clan, the Abizarites from his clan, responded and were called out to follow him. Then he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. That's his tribe. And he sent messengers to Asher, to Zebulun, to Naphtali, and they went out to meet him. They have responded to the deliverer that God has sent. They have responded to Jeroboam when he sent his messengers throughout the land. The people from his clan and his tribe and the other tribes had likely heard what Gideon did when he tore down the altar to Baal. They knew his name, we could call it his nickname, Jeroboam. And in the face of the Midianites and the Amalekites, they came to follow. And yet even though the Lord had said to Gideon in his call, verse 16, that God would be with him and would strike him as strike them as one man through Gideon. Even though God had given Gideon the sign of the sacrifice to show him that he was the Lord and Gideon was now at peace with him. And even though Gideon had now been clothed with the Holy Spirit of God and the people of his clan and tribe and nearby tribes had responded to his call to follow and to lead behind his fight. He looks at the Midianites and the Amalekites And the people from the east encamped in the promised land. And he remembers what had happened seven previous times. And Gideon wants another sign. And what sign does Gideon ask for? He asks for the sign of the fleece. Gideon isn't asking God for a sign to show him God's will as to whether he should go fight or not fight. He knows God's will. But the verse tells us that Gideon wants a sign for something far more important, far more significant than what any kind of decision that any Old Testament believer or New Testament believer would have to make about their life. In the face of the enemy, Gideon wants a sign to confirm that what God has promised concerning saving His people in His Word is true. Verse 36, then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you shall save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Notice in those two verses, the repeated vocabulary, which forms an Clusio around the first sign at the end of verse chapter 36 D or I'm sorry at the end of verse 36 we read as you have said at the end of verse 37 we read it again as you have said and what is it that God has said to Gideon look what leads into the end of that verse verse 36 then Gideon said to the Lord if you will save Israel By my hand, as you have said. You see, God had already told Gideon that in verse 16 of his call in this same chapter. God had already told Gideon, I will use you, you men of valor, to save my people. But in the face of the Amalekites and the Midianites, Gideon isn't sure. He asked for a sign. If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And at the end of the verse, verse 37, he reads, Then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. The sign, the first sign, is sandwiched in the middle of that phrase, as you have said. And what has God said? That he will save Israel by his hand. And Gideon asked for the sign, not to determine whether he should go fight or not, what God's will is. God already told him that. Gideon asked for the sign to confirm that what God has promised, that what God has said in His Word is true. Gideon already knows He has peace with God. God gave him a sign for that. Gideon already has the Holy Spirit upon him. We see that in the previous verse. And he questions then that Gideon is going through his mind. What he's struggling with is when it comes to facing an enemy of the Lord and his people, is God to be trusted? That he will save his people through the hand of his deliverer, Gideon. That's what he wants to know. And God answers by giving him the sign. Verse 38, and it was so. And when he arose the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Do you see where this sign takes place? It takes place on the threshing floor. Remember, at the beginning of Judges chapter 6, where the angel of the Lord appeared, Gideon is beating wheat at the wine press instead of the threshing floor because he thinks the Midianites will come to the threshing floor and see him threshing the wheat, and it will be stolen and taken away. Gideon is at the threshing floor, and he picks up the fleece, and he squeezes out in the morning an entire bowl full of water as God confirmed his word and his promise. But this first sign is still not enough for Gideon. This first sign could maybe be explained away as not being supernatural. If you leave a fleece outside at night, it's possible it could be wet in the morning and the ground around it, the ground at a threshing floor, dry. And so this time, Gideon wants to be sure with a supernatural sign. He asks for a sign that goes against nature. He asks God to do the impossible. And why did Gideon choose the fleece and the dew? Gideon had been raised in a home, in a clan, in a tribe that worshipped Baal. Baal was the god of fertility. The worshippers of Baal believed that the false god Baal sent them rain and dew in the morning to water their crops. It's why the men of the town got up early and saw the altar of Baal broken down and were ready to kill Gideon. Is Baal really false? Is the Lord God really over all? You see, there's a weakness here in Gideon's faith, and he asks this time for a supernatural sign. Verse twenty or verse thirty-nine. Then Gideon said to the Lord, "Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more." Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. And it was dry on the fleece only, and on the ground there was dew. The second sign was a supernatural sign that only God could do. And the supernatural sign, God was letting Gideon know that he is the true God over nature that Baal is a false god and that the word of the Lord and the promise to save his people, Gideon, is true. Was it wrong for Gideon to ask the Lord for another sign or even a sign at all? I believe it wasn't wrong for him to ask, but it does show that even though he was at peace with God, and the Holy Spirit had come upon him in the face of an enemy. There was weakness in Gideon's faith. It's not a bad thing as the Lord continues to work in Gideon's life. Remember, Gideon's name is found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, where we find Gideon's name in the halls of faith along with Noah and Abraham and Moses and many others. But at this point, Gideon is still growing in his faith. He has a weakness in his faith. He asks God to give him a sign, a supernatural sign. In asking for the sign, Gideon wants to be even more sure that God's word, God's promise to save his people, is true. There may be faith here. It's a weak faith, but congregation of our Lord Jesus, do you see your life in the life of Gideon this morning? God has sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come to earth. He didn't come this time to appear to somebody else. He came down in the flesh. Son of God, Son of Man, from heaven to earth. And when he came to save his people, the Jews, to point out their sin, their hypocrisy, they were angry. They rejected him. His own people, his own tribe, put him to death on the cross. And when he went to the cross, His Father did not stand up for Him. And He went to the cross for the sins of His people. And on the cross, His Father forsook Him. The Lord Jesus Christ was your Passover lamb. He died on the cross to pay for your sins. And by his resurrection, he has delivered you from the power of sin and death. And he has brought you into a lamb that foreshadows heaven. The church of our Lord Jesus Christ at worship on the Lord's day. And he is with you. He has given you his peace by the power of his Holy Spirit. And yet you live in a world surrounded by those around you who do not know him, and are hostile to him. And if you're a believer, a faithful believer to you. Jesus told his disciples that if they follow him, if they follow him to the cross, they may have to leave behind even fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and maybe even children, to follow Him. If you follow Him, you are a contender against the false gods of this world. You, as a believer today, may face persecution for your faith in following Him. And as you live in this world, sometimes do you feel poor, starving, fearful? and beat down by those around you? The Lord gave Gideon a supernatural sign that confirms that his word of salvation is true. The circumstances around Gideon in his life didn't look that way. And the Lord has given you a supernatural act That his salvation is true. The Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again. The Lord Jesus is the only one who has ever risen from the dead. A supernatural act of salvation by the Lord God that he has brought about, that he has given you. And so, as you live in this world today, you know that God has given you a visible sign that points to His supernatural deliverance that God has given you. It's a sign that the Lord Jesus instructed His disciples to do until He comes again. A visible sign that brings grace and confirms God's Word and promise that The salvation of God's Deliverer is true. And like Gideon, this is a sign for those who have faith, but sometimes weak faith. A sign that when you participate, God spiritually feeds you and strengthens. Your faith. A sign that shows who God is. He is a faithful God. Who is faithful to his word and who keeps his promises. And this morning. Before you a visible sign. That points to his salvation act. His supernatural act. Death and resurrection and points forward to an eternal place where He has brought and will bring in all of its fullness all of His people. Come this morning to the supper that points back to the altar of peace and points forward to the place of eternal peace. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you today for this scripture passage which puts before us the work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are thankful, Lord, that we live in the fullness of time, that, Lord, we can see the fullness of what took place in Gideon's life in the coming of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks for his supernatural work, the supernatural act that took place on the cross in his death and resurrection. We are thankful that He is our Passover Lamb who has saved us from our sins and has freed us from sin and from death. We're thankful that we belong to a church that knows You, that foreshadows the heavenly place where we can go and someday be with You. And yet, Lord, as we look around us, as sometimes as believers today, we feel beaten down. We look around and know the world around us is hostile towards us. Lord, we thank you that you have blessed us with the means of grace. The means of grace which reminds us of the supernatural act that our Savior accomplished for us and points us to the heavenly salvation that we someday will have with him and before Him in the wedding supper of the Lamb. Father, we come today hungry to be fed by You. We pray that as we come as sinners, You would stir in us a heart of repentance. We pray, Lord, that as we come in a humbleness, Lord, we could identify with that wonderful grace Lord, even though our faith is weak, we pray that you would feed us and strengthen our faith to know that your word and your saving act in Christ Jesus is true and that we belong to you at peace forevermore. We pray this all, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.